0: Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. Yeah, please be seated. Hey, online folks, welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us online. I don't know if you could tell it online or not, but there's something powerful about being here in person. Um, These people got to declaring the blessing of God over each other with such enthusiasm and authority that it broke our lighting system in the middle of the worship set and it started going crazy. Some of y'all probably thought we were putting on a show, weren't you? you. No, y'all broke the daggum lighting system from all that celebrating, uh, so we just had to shut it off. Uh, so anyways, man, crazy stuff happens around this place when you get to celebrating God, huh? I'm glad that you guys are here. You um, You may or may not have met this lovely young woman before, but this is Lauren Hill. She is what we call our preschool lead. So she's in our children's department. Yeah, there you go. Uh, She's part of our children's department. Her specific area of responsibility is the preschool world. And um, she's been with us for the better part of about four years. Uh, And uh, Lauren has uh, served faithfully in a variety of different positions, the most uh, known of which has been that role in the preschool department. But over these several years that we have known Lauren, um, we have observed and she has affirmed um, that God has been doing a work in her heart Uh, in calling her very possibly to the foreign mission field, specifically Africa. Um, And so we wanted to test that. Uh, We wanted to give her opportunities to kind of wade out into the water before she just dove out there into the bush. And um, so she's had some opportunities to spend some time with the Overland Mission Team and Jake and Jesse in Africa with other aspiring missionaries in the bush, living off the land, off the grid, in tents, in huts, Going hut to hut, sharing a gospel with people that have never heard it before. Husking corn, just as an opportunity to begin to speak life into somebody. And it's been amazing to see where God has brought her up into this point. And um, so she is preparing uh, in August, uh, if, if international travel is still a thing in August, uh, she'll be headed over to the Bush of Africa with the Overland Mission Team. Uh, for a three-month intensive training that is like Navy SEAL missionary stuff. I'm talking about, like, she will have to learn how to do bush first aid, which, by the way, is not like the first aid kit under your car uh, seat. Um, she will learn how to farm, to live off the land. She's going to learn how to build her own structures. She's going to learn how to share the gospel to unreach people, and they're going to go and do that, and it's going to be an intensive training. Um, That will be full of theological, doctrinal deposits. That will be full of biblical and worship training as well. Um, But it, it will be three months that will change her life. And she feels called to do that. We affirm as a pastor and elder team that this is a direction that God is calling her in her life. And so I wanted to invite her up here to share a little bit about how in the world she arrived at that conclusion. So tell me about the day... That you were sitting on that rock when God began to speak to you and call you into foreign missions.
1: Oh, man. So my first trip was to Ragged Island, Bahamas with uh, the Southards. Um, And Casey had invited me to go on this trip. And we were there just to pour into the families that were there and the kids and everything. Um, And there's this rock that you can go to that's called Lover's Leap. And you could go into it, like go climb up it, as long as the tide was out. If the tide was in, you could get stuck on the rock. Um, And so I went wandering one day by myself and just climbed up on this rock. And I was sitting up there and I was just like, okay, God, wherever you want me to go, like I'll go wherever you want to send me. Like I promise I'll go. Um, and it just resonated in me of Isaiah 6, 8, where it says, and the Lord asked, whom shall I send? And he responds, Lord, send me. Um, and I was like, God, like, wherever you want me to be, that's where I want to go. Um, so from there, like, when I came back from that trip, like, 2018, we had a guy named Brad Keller, who was from Lake Placid that asked for a team to be able to go to Uganda and Rwanda. And... A lot of people weren't able to go, and I looked at Casey, and I was like, I want to go on this trip. I don't know why. I don't know why I feel this urge to say yes, but please tell him that I said yes. Um, So I had a month to raise funds to go on this first trip, and it was incredible. We went to Uganda, Rwanda, and we got to enjoy just being around kids and women and everyone there, and we got to do children's ministry, women's ministry. Um, We got to go into the orphanages and just enjoy pouring into these people, but there was something more that I felt like we could be doing. Um, So last year, uh, Dustin and Ansley, they went to go visit Jake and Jesse, and when they got back, Dustin was coming up to me after a staff meeting, and he was like, "Hey, yo, what up, Africa?" Um, and me, being like this really pale albino-looking person, I like looked around the room and I was like, "Who is this man talking to?" Um, and he was like, "You. I'm talking to you. You're gonna be going back to Africa." Um, and what he didn't know is I had actually spent the past year praying about being able to go back. Um, so I had about a month and a half to raise funds to be able to go to this two-week expedition. And when I got there, we hit the ground running, staying in tents. Um, and what we did was we did hut to hut where you went and you were shucking corn or you were helping them do something at their house while you are just telling these people about the gospel. Um, And you can tell in their face just how overjoyed they are about hearing the word. Um, These are people who are used to being told that if you have an illness or you need healing or something's going on in your family, like that you go see a witch doctor or do a voodoo ritual or do a satanic ritual and that's how you get healed. And so these people just have such bondage and weight on them. And when they hear about the gospel, like you see that break inside of them. And you truly get to see like a kingdom come before the throne and you see God's people running back to him. Um, So when I got back in August, I knew I had to have this difficult conversation with Woods about, okay, what does this look like? I'm going to be leaving children's ministry to go do this full-time. And so when I started to talk about, hey, Woods, this is what I'm called to do, I feel called to doing full-time missions. Um, Woods just looked at me and he was just like, we know it, we've seen it, we've just been wondering when you were going to go. And I had to hold back the tears in this office because I've enjoyed, like, what I've gotten to do the whole time. Um, And it was a hard decision to decide, like, leaving children's ministry to go do this. Um, But it's been on my heart for years to be able to go do this. And so. Well,
0: this is exciting for us uh, as a church family that we get to be a part of the journey of somebody's life, stepping into this type of ministry in particular. And we believe so much as a church family that the value of a existing church is not in its seeding capacity, but it's in its sending capacity. Like, we want to see the kingdom of God grow and flourish through the people in the family of Grace Bible Church, and um, this is just one example of how it has happened, and it's been because of, of the experiences that she's had with you guys and with our team of leadership and just... Being invested in and sown into and encouraged towards faithfulness in her own walk with God. And this is going to land her in Africa. Uh, and what, what this is going to look like for her, she's going to leave in August. She'll be gone for a few months. And then she'll be back with us for probably about a year. Um, during this three-month experience um, over there of advanced missionary training, um, she's going to get the front row seat to the hardest stuff of doing missions in the bush. Uh, she will be trained to um, deal with all of that stuff. And in that time, she gets to kind of wade through this calling in her life to see if that's really where she's supposed to be. And it's kind of like, a, honestly, like a working interview, too, for the Overland team to see if she's got what it takes. Uh, I told y'all, it's like Navy SEAL stuff for missionaries over there. Um, but um, we will, she'll be back after that three months and the game plan. is She'll be here for another year, probably serving again in our preschool department. And during that year, she'll be raising funds in order to go on to the mission field full-time. And so that's kind of the game plan from here. Now, for her to go to this advanced missionary training, it's about $7,000 uh, for, $7, for that. It's expensive to travel over there, to be over there for three months. And so I told her, I said, this was months ago and we talked about this. I said, all right, Lauren, here's the deal. You raise half of it on your own, and then the other half, when we talk to the congregation, we'll get that raised throughout the weekend. And I asked her three weeks ago, I said, hey, how's the fundraising going? Did you hit the halfway mark? And she said, I've raised the whole thing. We're good to go. And so how cool is that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so uh, I did I start asking more probing questions, too. I want to make sure she has everything covered. Um, she still needs three or $400 for visas. And then we want to make sure to send her off with some international health care, particularly in a time like this. Uh, particularly where in the world she's going to be. And um, so uh, doing so, we figured that's going to be about another $2,000. But I wanted to celebrate with you guys this morning that you have continued to give faithfully, even in difficult times and uncertain times like this. Because of some decisions we've had to make as a church, our expenses have gone down some for this season. And so that's created some margin for us. We're going to make up that $2,000. You guys have already provided that. For her, now she's fully funded to go hit the mission field, ready to go. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Let's pray for her, and let's get into the Word together. Father, I thank you for my friend Lauren. I thank you for the clear calling of mission that you have placed on her life. Lord, that though you have called her to mission in Africa, um, you have a calling on our lives to be missionaries right here where you've placed us. Lord, I pray for your protection over her, that your wisdom would be made known to her, Father, that the peace of Christ would rule in her heart, Lord, that you would go before her and prepare a way that many would come to know Jesus through her ministry in the bush, Lord, that you would raise up other missionaries around her, that you would build a strong, solid team to continue the legacy that you have left through Overland Mission, uh, not only in Africa, but throughout the world. Thank you for providing for her ahead of time, all the things that she would need before this trip, even financially. And, Lord, we commit her over to you as a church family. She's always been yours, but we confess as a group that she is yours for your kingdom and your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please join me in celebrating Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. Continuing that conversation, 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, while you're flipping over there, just a little little house address I wanted to mention to you is you're, uh, this weekend and definitely for the, uh, incoming weekend, you're going to see our, all of our pastors, our staff, most of our volunteers wearing masks around here. Um, myself included, I took it off for the purpose of being up here so you can understand what I'm saying. Um, but we just want to make every effort to try to, uh, protect our community of believers during a time like this when we know that there is a local uptick of cases of COVID. And, uh, I want you to know that I recognize that this is like one of those really hot topic political conversations. Um, And so I want you to also know that we don't make decisions around here based on politics or media or any of that. Uh, We make decisions as a church family based on talking to our local doctors that go to our church that love Jesus, that love you, uh, to figure out at what pace we should reopen, how we need to respond. Um, in this in between season, and, and quite honestly, three or four weeks ago, and talking to some of our local doctors, they're like, "Yeah, let's start moving towards reopening. Let's keep going in that direction." Um, and two thumbs up. And I called them this week, and I said, "Hey, what's the state of the union?" I see a local uptick. I know that there's been a lot of uh, a lot of housed cases at uh, Advent Health, for example. And both of them said, and they were two totally different conversations, that we we need to encourage. Um, all of our staff team who's interacting with all these folks to be, wear face coverings during this time. And even encourage you guys as a church family to consider doing so in the meantime. Again, I know there's, there's a lot of different opinions about that. I'm not, I'm not interested in having that discussion with you. I'm just letting you know these are some measures we're going to take to try to protect our church family at large as best as possible. And in my opinion, this is a small, I hate wearing masks, but this is a small sacrifice to make just to be able to be together. Um, your decision for you and your family is up to you. We're not going to require it for you coming in the door. I'm just strongly recommending that, and letting letting you know that you're going to see our team doing so, just because we're interacting with all of you throughout the weekend, and we want to we want to be a part of the solution, um, particularly in our own community here. We definitely don't want to go backwards, and I sure don't ever want to preach to a camera again. You hear what I'm saying? I like people. Uh, and I like I love to touch you and hug you and stuff and maybe one day when this is all over we'll get a big group hug and like celebrate that we're past it but at least for right now these are some precautionary measures we want to take in the meantime. So thank you for your understanding and and uh and certainly trust that you guys will make whatever decision is best for you and your family as well. So First Peter chapter 2. Uh we we've been spending more time in First Peter than we had originally intended because as we were looking at it it was becoming made clear to us by the Lord, I believe very much so, that this is such a timely word of encouragement to a people who are going through seasons of enduring and suffering and hard times and hardship. And as relevant as it was to the first century Christians, it's just as relevant to the 21st century Christians, even though the dynamics are a little bit different. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to dive back off into giving you all the historical background. I hope that if you're tuning into this conversation for the first time, you'll go back to the beginning of our First Peter discussion, healing through the hard stuff in chapter 1, and then enduring through the hard stuff from chapter 2 on to where we're at right now, and it'll be called that uh, through the end. But just to, just to kind of catch the backdrop of what's going on and why Peter is saying the things that he's saying. Um, But for the sake of today's discussion, I'm kind of jumping into the middle of the conversation. He was in the middle of saying something to us when we stopped last week. And we're going to be coming back in in just verse 9 and 10. Um, Now, in the coming week, we're going to be breaking off uh, more real estate as we go. uh, Larger passages of scripture, larger sections of the conversation. But for now, we've kind of pieced it out and we're massaging it out just a few verses at a time because the apostle Peter is dealing with their new kingdom identity before he starts calling in, them into a new way of thinking and a new way of being as a people. And this, this is particularly important as we are studying the book of 1 Peter because I can guarantee you over the next some odd weeks as we're combing through some of the stuff that Peter is saying, many of the things that he has to say to us is going to be wildly offensive To you as a 21st century American Christian, for most of you, he's going to be addressing some things in us and in the way we think and the way we are as we are a kingdom people enduring through the hard stuff of life. He's going to be addressing some stuff that is going to rub against the cultural narrative of the world that you live in, and you're going to have to come to a place of deciding whether or not you're going to believe the message of the culture. Or the timeless message of the word of God. And it will not be easy and you will be mad at me and I can't wait. How exciting. (laughs) My job is to declare the word of God. Your job is to decide what you're going to do with it. It's between you and him. But it's coming in the next few weeks. That's why we wanted to take some time to really establish ourselves and our identity in Christ. And who he declares that we are because of what he has done for us. And so we dive into the next section of that today in verses 9 and 10. But for those of you that missed last week we really spoke to the believers and then we stopped in the middle and we spoke to unbelievers just like Peter was doing in chapter 2 to make sure we understood that who a believer is in Christ Jesus, this new kingdom calling of being part of the spiritual house that God dwells in and that we are a priesthood of believers and that he has called us to make spiritual sacrifices of our lives and our family and our money and our agenda And then he calls unbelievers to understand that Jesus, though rejected by many, is the chief cornerstone. In other words, he's the only one worth building the foundation of your life upon. Now, whether or not you choose to believe that is going to be between you and the Lord. But there's an invitation in here for you to trust and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that you too can be given a new identity, a new family, a new calling, a new kingdom purpose that matters. It's not temporary, but it's for eternal, for all time. As a matter of fact, we got to celebrate as a church family. We did have a man, one man, within our three services that declared Jesus for the first time in his life as the Lord of his life. And he crossed from death to life <laughs> into a new. And we celebrate that. I mean, I, I'm excited about that. We've had weekends over the years here at GBC where I've seen as many as 70 people give their life to Christ in a moment. And we had one, but we celebrate the same because all of kingdom heaven erupts in praise. And in celebration to God because one person is crossed from death to life. And we celebrate that as a church together this morning. So for you, sir, uh, brand new to the kingdom of God. And for those of you that are followers of Jesus, you declare him as the Lord of your life. Let's jump into verse 9. This is for you. Listen up. 9 and 10. He dives back into reaffirming this identity stuff. He knows he's about to get into some hard conversations, so he's reestablishing and reaffirming our identity in Jesus. So we attune our head and our hearts to that. And he says, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." Yeah, you may not feel like that all the time, Grace Bible, but that's what you are. That's what he has declared over you. That's what he paid the price so that you can become. You are a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Does that sound like good news to anybody else? Man, I celebrate the good news of being a people who had not received mercy, knowing that now we have received mercy. When I think about the guy that I got to talk to last week, confessing Jesus is the Lord of his life, like prior to last Sunday morning at 10 a.m., he had not received the mercy of God in his life. And now a whole week later, the mercies of God are new every morning for him. They are fresh and they are new and they are everlasting and they are eternal and they will not stop. The mercy of God is limitless and it knows no bounds for those that are in Christ Jesus. This is a brand new life and a brand new calling for him. And so as not to, to dive too deeply into these specific titles that we are given again, because one of them we talked about last week, let's, let's at least, though, talk a little bit about them, starting with the first thing that he says that you are in Christ Jesus. So we tether our hearts and our minds to that as a people of God. He says that you are a chosen race. Say chosen race. How's that make you feel? A little confused, maybe. Not common language for us. You get the idea of chosen, that God has appointed to you as His race and His people. He has called you out. This is a calling that He has placed on your life. He, you are a chosen race of people, which by the way, is not him dismissing the diversity of people. This is His way of celebrating it. You hear what I'm saying? Who else? could bring this kind of unity from so much diversity within his own kingdom. Only God, only the good news of the gospel. When he calls us that we are now in Christ Jesus, that we are now one race, a chosen race of every tribe and tongue and nation, And this is a reminder that God took the beauty of the tapestry of the diversity that he created and he he united us under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, one King, like we are now one body, one family, even though we look different, even though we like different things, even though we look around a room like this and you see different ages and different skin colors and different heritages and different family histories and Different talents and different desires and different strengths and different weaknesses and different fears and different struggles. And like, man, God is the author of the beauty of diversity in the world that we live in. Did you know like that humanity was the pinnacle of all creation? Go back and read the creation story in Genesis. In the beginning, God, and you work your way through creation and just look at how each step of the way he gets more and more complex, more and more glorious, more and more beautiful in all of his creation until he finally ends up creating a woman. What's so funny? was just, by the way, guys, if that is true, if God's creation story gets more and more complex and beautiful and creative as he goes... And he looked at man he said, oh, this ain't good. Uh, He created one more. The pinnacle of all creation was woman. All the diversity of the world, all the beauty, all the majesty, this is the tapestry of God. This is a display of his glory. He is the most creative person you have ever met. And so when he calls us as one race, one people, a chosen race, of his own. He's not dismissing our diversity, he's celebrating it because only he could bring unity out of such diversity. But since the beginning of time because our diversities as a people we've used all these diversities in our lives to create as many divisions as we can, haven't we? giving ourselves a million and one reasons as to why to like subcategorize ourselves and keep other people out of our lives. And I wish I could say that was just a humanity problem, but it's a people, it's a church people problem too. We got black churches, white churches, Hispanic churches, rich churches, poor churches. With inside the churches, we got subcultures and cliques and like Man, we just use every excuse we can as a people to try to dig our heels in the sand, dig a trench, and dwell there with only people that are like us and think like us and feel like us, and we reject the rest of the world. But he calls us, you are one race, one people. And the glory of God was displayed by bringing unity because of such great diversity. As a matter of fact, the call of God on the life of a Christian is not a call to uniformity. It's a call to unity. As a matter of fact, the, we know that the call to uniformity is not one of the word of God. He celebrates our diversity. He brings us together as one body. But he doesn't call us to live in unison, like uniformity. He calls us to live in harmony. We see that in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. When the apostle Paul declares to Christians, brothers and sisters, I tell you to live in harmony with one another. Say harmony. harmony. Live in harmony with one another. How many music people in the room? You know the difference between unison and harmony, anybody? Huh? Unison is we're all singing the same note, harmony is we're all singing different notes in the same key and it makes something beautiful. Let me give you an example. Try not to ruin it. Hmm. Unison. Unison. sounds all right. All the same notes. Same key.
1: How many of y'all can sing that
0: note? Sing it out loud. Everybody, same note. Unison. Not bad, but we can do better. The kingdom of God brings unity out of diversity, tells us in Romans chapter. 12 or 16 he says live in harmony with one another <laughs> harmony now sing those notes now nah, i'm just playing i know <laughs> hey look y'all couldn't even sing unison right <laughs> see the beauty of harmony All these notes, they're different notes, but they're all in the same key. They're playing together in harmony together. They're on the same page. They're like-minded. They're moving towards the same goal. They're creating the beautiful music of worship to God. Like, this is a beautiful thing. They're not just stray notes doing their own thing. They're doing what God has told them to do together, but yet they embrace the fact that they're all a little bit different from each other, and they celebrate that as one race, one kingdom, one people. We would see the beauty in that because this is one of the greatest declarations of the glory of God displayed for the world to see because there is nothing else on planet earth that can bring that kind of unity out of so much diversity and is united under the work and the words of Christ Jesus and in him alone. Not our own agendas, not our own politics and are in the words and work of Jesus and in him alone. And there are people of every tribe, tongue, and nation that declare Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's going to be this, that right there, that picture of harmony, that's a taste of what heaven's going to be like. There's not going to be socioeconomic statuses. We're not going to build barricades around us racially. Like, we're going to be there celebrating the glory of God for all time, for everybody else that, with everybody else that declared Jesus Christ as Lord while here on earth. One race. And he also calls us, he says, that you are also a royal priesthood. We talked a lot about the the priesthood of believers last week. Let me see how much you remember. Don't disappoint me. The 830 service was awful. Okay. They didn't pay attention last week, I could tell. So let me just try y'all. Let me put the pressure on y'all, okay. We talked about the royal priesthood of believers, the holy priesthood of believers last week. Um, We talked about what it meant to be a biblical priest. I taught you a Latin word. The Latin word was pontifex. And what it means to be a priest is to be a what builder? A? Eh? All right, thank you, Shirley. One person was listening. You were here last service, though. You got to practice. <laughs> yeah, the priesthood, were bridge builders, and we're a priesthood, so we work together to build bridges. Bridges for what? We talked about it last week. It has something to do with our priesthood identity, that as priests, biblical priests, we have a right, and we have a? responsibility. Our right is the fact that we have what to God? Access Access to God. Thank you, one person. Man, I tell you what, I am not very good at this job. (laughs) Out of the well over a thousand people that watched this talk last week, one person has been able to answer each one of these questions. I need to sharpen up my skills a little bit. We have a right, which is access to God as a priesthood, which is you and I. I'm, I'm not the priest. We are the priesthood. We are a Royal priesthood. Priests have a right, which is access to God, and we also have a responsibility, which we need to bring others to God. That's our responsibility as priests. And let's be honest. Um, now, some of y'all don't feel this way. I, I know that the percentage is very low that doesn't feel this way because you could preach the gospel to a telephone pole. But for most of us, like, we love our access. We like our right as a priesthood. We love that we have access to God. We can pray to him anytime, anywhere, any place. That we have the ear of the Almighty Creator God. We love our right, but it's the responsibility part, bringing others to God, that makes us a little bit nervous. We're a little uncomfortable. That feels more like a sacrifice than a privilege. Is it just me? As a royal priesthood, we've been called to enjoy our access with God, but invite other people to enjoy that access as well. Be missionaries, be priests. Be declarers of the goodness of God so that the world would come and experience him as well. But that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? But this is a kingdom calling God has placed on your life as a follower of Jesus. And it's not just about saying, all right, I'll go to Africa like Lauren is. God is using his people everywhere to declare the glory of God. Our priesthood needs to happen right in where you work, right in where you live where your kids play ball. That's, that's where our opportunity for royal priesthood happens, but it makes us nervous to try to bring other people to God, to broach that conversation. People are going to think we're like uber-religious, or it's going to make them uncomfortable. It might cause tension in our relationship. And i just—I got to quote this for you, one of my favorite quotes of all time. Uh, speaking of Africa, actually came from the first pioneer missionary in Africa, and his name was David Livingston. And this is what he said. He said, if a commission from an earthly king is considered an honor, then how can the commission of a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? We've been commissioned as a royal priesthood, a kingdom of believers. A, that commissioning, by the way, came down from the highest throne and the highest king and was placed upon you as a follower Of Jesus and for those of you that like me quite honestly if I'm just being honest like I know better I know the truths of God's word I declare them to you I declare them to me but like in my feelings the feelings level of me I look at things like chosen and holy and priesthood and I think man like I love you Jesus and I want to serve you Lord but like man I fall so short of that it even feels weird to say That I am those things because I don't feel like those things when I look in the mirror. And that's why he says this next bit to us. He says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And this is where he qualifies it. This is where he talks about where the source of our value comes from. He says we are a people for his own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous, marvelous light. If it's the proclamation part that you're struggling with, of the priesthood of believers, if it's seeing your value within the kingdom of God because you don't feel like you stack up well to chosen or holy or being a priest, even though that's what the Lord says that you are, this is your new identity in Christ. He says, don't forget the simple fact that you are a people of his own possession so that you can proclaim his excellencies of how you've been called from dark." into his marvelous light. Let let me explain kind of how this works. How many of you in your house uh, right now probably or somewhere in your possession, probably jammed back in some storage unit somewhere, you have an object of otherwise zero value, but because of who owns it or who used to own it, it's got tons of value to you. Maybe you paid a lot for it or maybe it just means a lot to you emotionally. Okay, how many of you own this rhetorical question? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you own something that is of otherwise little to no value, but because of who owns it or who used to own it, it is of tons of value to you, whether that be financially or emotionally or whatever? Um, I decided, kind of to answer this question, I decided to kind of wade off into the Google University to see, like, what are some of the weird things people have bought that are, like, useless but are very expensive, um, and this is what I came up with. Welcome to Church at Grace Bible this morning. you can, Elvis had a pair of drawers, underwear, that recently sold for eight grand. A worthless object now worth eight grand because of whose it was. You could, his Bible recently sold for $94,000. Like, hey, when I, when I go on to see the Lord, like, I hope one of y'all pays 100 grand for my Bible, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Give it to the church. Uh, you movie people, Scarlett Johansson, uh, she left behind a tissue that she had blown her nose in after a Jay Leno interview. Uh, one of the cleaning crew found it, sold it on eBay for 5,300 bucks. Somebody bought that. Justin Timberlake left behind a half-eaten piece of toast from a radio interview, sold for three grand. (laughs) Lady Gaga had a fake nail that fell off during a performance. One of the cleaning crew picked it up, sold it online for $13,000. Dirty old fake nail, probably picked her nose with that one too, $13,000. You want one of John Lennon's teeth, you Beatles fans out there? 31 grand is how much one of his teeth just sold for. We started with underwear, let's end with underwear. All right, Michael Jackson's dusty old draws, $1 million, people. Useless, objects of no value, somebody's dirty underwear going for a million. Why? Because of who, whose it is, who it belongs to. That's what gives it its value. I had a really personal one uh, hit me recently. Um, for the last 10 years of my life, I've been carrying around a pocket knife that my grandfather gave me, and I lost it two weeks ago. I could go out and buy a new pocket knife, not an expensive thing, but the thing is the value of the one that I lost is priceless, priceless to me. Fortunately, he is still alive. Um, But nonetheless, it had a lot of sentimental value for me, particularly the last time that knife got sharpened, he sharpened it for me which was cool. It was like a blast from the past, like when I was a kid just watching him sharpen that knife. It just means a lot to me, you know. And so uh, you get the picture? Otherwise useless objects of no value because of whose they were or whose they are is what gives them all the value in the world, even a snotty old tissue. Do Do you catch the picture of what God meant for us to pick up when he told us that we are a people of his own possession? Our value doesn't come from who we are and what we've done within the kingdom of God. Our value comes from who he is and what he has done. And when he claimed us as his own, his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, a people of his own possession so that we can declare his excellencies as we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. The fact that we are his is what gives us our great value to him. We were so valuable to him. You want to talk about expensive? Somebody paid a million dollars for Michael Jackson's underwear, but God himself paid with the price of his son for our hearts so that we could be his, so that he could call us his own. We were priceless to God. And according to Hosea, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, we were a wicked and adulterous people. God stepped into our story, according to Romans, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't stepping in to buy something valuable or useful. He was stepping into something that was broken, that was desolate, that had lost his value, that had become useless because of its wickedness. And he stepped into the story, and he paid the highest price he could possibly pay with his own life so that we could be made his. Like we had to pull... We had to stop this morning and just do pull-ups on this particular part of the conversation before we wade into these other parts. Because you need to remember before God begins to call us to right living, to a right understanding of what it looks like to be kingdom people enduring through this hard stuff of life that we first need to tether our head and our hearts to right being and right believing and understanding that this is the creator God that was so wildly in love with you that there was not a price too high that he wouldn't pay to be able to come after you and to be able to buy the opportunity for you to come into right relationship and in love with him. And that's what he did through his son Jesus Christ. And that's a picture of the gospel that we get to see here. So the calling for us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Those are byproducts of the great price that God paid for us. This is the new identity that he's gifted to us since we are now his. And I can promise you his calling on you to be a holy priest, his calling on you to be the one to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you into a marvelous light, his calling on your life. To be reminded, to declare that once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of that was not born out of you trying to ante your way up, trying to earn your way to God. All of that was born out of and gifted to you by a God who had already paid the price for you. So that we as his people, so thankful and gracious for what he has done for us might learn to walk in the light that he has offered to us and in the mercy and extend the same thing to the world around us. Invite the world around us to experience him as well. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us, your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the unlimited price that you paid. You gave everything you had and you have everything and you gave it all that we might be made yours, that we might be your kingdom people and have a new life in Christ. Lord, I pray that these truths of your word would take root in our hearts and that they would come out in our attitudes and our actions and our longing to worship you with all that we are and all that you have made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.